All right, all right. Well, I got in a really good conversation, so sorry I'm a little late starting the Jesus story because it just, I discovered that I enjoyed talking to the person I was sitting across from. So uh, hopefully uh, you got in a, got a great conversation. I'm JD. I think I know most of you guys in the room. Uh, for the next few weeks here, we're going to continue to tell Jesus stories, but they're going to have uh, maybe more of a teaching sort of uh, tone to them and, and less story. We're going to do something uh, that some of you maybe remember back in January, we did the Sabbath practice, and we took a whole month to focus on the practice of Sabbath in our lives as uh, followers of Jesus. We're doing something very similar this next month. We're focusing on the practice of prayer, and I'll share a little bit more about how you can engage in that. And the thing being passed out right now is an exercise for later, so no need to read through that. You can if you want to, um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in. I'm really uh, looking forward to this next few weeks. So I want to start off with a question, or imaginative question, really. Think about someone in your mind who is either very close to you or has a lot of authority in your life, and imagine getting a single-sentence text from them that just says, we need to talk. How would you feel? What? what <laughs> alarm bells, alarm bells, anxiety. So I received a very similar uh, email that was a little bit more wordy, not as direct. My, uh, like, th- I think it was like four weeks into my freshman year of college, and it was from a professor uh, who had just proctored an exam for me. Uh, It was a psychology 101 uh, class, and it was a very brief email and just said, hey, can you come to my my office? I would like to talk. And uh, I had the same feelings that you might have just imagined there, like, what did I do wrong? Uh, I, it was a big, uh, uh, I I was very proud to have made it to college. I experienced trying to figure out how to learn through a learning disability in high school and uh, didn't really care about school until like my sophomore year of high school. So I had worked really hard to get to college. So I was very anxious to operate within college. So to, to get called into a professor's room a couple weeks in, I was feeling a lot of emotions. And we had just taken this big exam and I had put a lot of effort into it. It was one of my first exams. And I, and I was like immediately like, <laughs> I failed college already. I'm done. <laughs> this is horrible. This is the end, uh, uh, and it was just the beginning. So I walked in the office, and um, I don't know if you've had these authority figures in your life where like they don't show a lot of emotion on their faces. So there was like I was trying to read her face, and like, is this a good conversation? Is this a bad conversation? And she just said, <laughs> we sat down, and she's like, hey, I want to talk to you about the test that we just took. I'm like, I almost blurted out, I didn't cheat, even though there was no accusation on the floor, and I hadn't cheated. I was just so nervous. And she's like, I, no, no, no. I want to tell you that you only got two wrong. And I was just like, oh. Just like this huge sigh of relief. I'm like, wait, what? That can't be right. You, you, you know that it's J.D. Larson, right? Like, that's my name. And she's like, yes, I just wanted to pull you in here to tell you that you're doing a great job, that I really appreciated how much effort you put into this, and I think I'm really going to enjoy having you as a student. And I just stared at her. I was like, what's the punchline? 
And I remember that story because our staff was talking about prayer and talking about uh, what our feelings are like around prayer. And Kara actually shared that I think, uh, I don't know if she said she's gone through seasons, but I really resonated with this, that sometimes the invitation to pray feels a little bit like that invitation to come to the professor's office or like the text message like, hey, can we talk? There might be some apprehension, some struggle, some hesitation to enter into a conversation with God, uh, who is the biggest authority in the world, right? And so part of why we're having this conversation is that there is this paradox that we experience in our faith, where prayer is the, one of the most central things that we can do to cultivate a relationship with God. But it's often one of the things and practices in our life that can be hard depending on the season or the playbook, the way of relating with God that we've been handed, the examples of prayer that we've seen in our life can be a barrier and there can be great hesitation to having a conversation with God. There can be great hesitation to responding to the invitation to talk with God. So that's what we're focused on uh, these next few weeks. And we might be coming to this conversation with fear because like my conversation with a professor or like a conversation with a person or a friend who would text you, do you want to talk? You'd be like, hey, can we just actually text? Because there's like a certain level of vulnerability to get in the room with someone, to stare across the table from someone, to look someone in the eye, to experience relationship with someone is to experience vulnerability. And I think we experience some of the same hesitations and fears when we think about prayer. So um, we might be left asking the question, how do we pray? How do we either start a prayer life? How do we restart a prayer life? If you're sitting in this room and like, oh, we're going to talk about prayer for the last four months. I have not done that in a serious way in a long time. Or how do you sustain? Maybe you're sitting in, in this room and going, prayer is really important to me. And I'm very excited to have this conversation. How do you sustain a life of prayer through the ups and downs and transitions of life? Now, let's start the conversation just by saying, what is prayer? Let's get on the same page, really, or get some understanding of what we mean when we use those words. And I'm going to give you two definitions. One's given by the people at Practicing the Way, which is a, a, an organization focused on spiritual formation that's informing a lot of our conversations. And one of the voices in that organization is John Mark Comer, and he defines prayer this way. Prayer is the medium through which we communicate and commune with God. The medium through which we communicate and commune with God. I love how Henry Nouwen puts it. Um, he says, prayer or to pray is to think and live in the presence of God. Prayer is to think and live in the presence of God. He calls it the access of existence. The access of existence. Well, if you're coming to this conversation and you're asking some of those same questions, like how do I restart, how do I engage, how do I pray, how do I take the next step in whatever prayer means for me in my life, there's a moment in the Jesus story, there's a moment in his life with the disciples where they kind of ask the same question and they turn to Jesus and they see him praying and they say, can you teach us how to pray? And that's the Jesus story we're going to start our conversation off. 
with, and we're going to look at this. It's called the Lord's Prayer. You might be very familiar with it, or it might be new to you. We're going to look at this in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to, turn in your Bibles. Uh, that was such a churchy phrase, turn in your Bibles. No one has a Bible here. You have a phone. If you want to pick out a phone, you can do that. Uh, that was like way in the annals of pastor life came through my mouth just now. Um, but if you have some sort of device to look at Scripture, I don't have the Scripture in front of you, but some of the same phrases are on the, uh, the paper that was handed out earlier. Let's uh, read this story from Jesus' life. So there's a little bit of dialogue, and then he... Um, teaches his disciples to pray. I'm going to start in verse 5 of chapter 6 of Matthew. He's speaking to his disciples here, Jesus is. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room." Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who, is, uh, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. But not, uh, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, before we dive into this, let me just say, a part, part of the backdrop here is his disciples has asked him for training on how to pray, and I'm sure he means to intend to give them words to pray, but it was actually a regular thing to ask a prominent rabbi in the day to give them a prayer that operated much like a mission statement, much like a, this is what we're about. So not only was it a sort of mantra that they would say, but it was a manifesto. It was like, this is what our group of disciples is about. This is what uh, we are orienting our lives and our focus around. So Jesus gives them this prayer for both of those purposes, just to pray, but also as a guidestone for what they're about. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says, for if you forgive other people their sins against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, our father will not forgive your sins. Now that last part is, can be confusing, and maybe sometime when we have more than 30 minutes, we can get into that. What I want to focus on, or I don't have 30 minutes here, when we have more time, we can get into that. Uh, what I want to focus on is this prayer that he gives his disciples. And I want us to start the conversation around prayer with what it looks like for us to talk with God. We're going to move through the themes of prayer that are kind of phases of prayer, talking with God, talking or talking to God, talking with God. We're going to have one where we talk about talking back to God. We're going to have another one focused on being with God. 
There's different dimensions of prayer, but as we are starting in prayer and as we are sustaining ourselves in prayer, Jesus gives us this as a backbone for what our prayer life can be. So we want to dive into this and then offer an invitation to let this prayer be your backbone of relating with God over the next month. And I want to do this in kind of a unique way. I want to look at the Lord's Prayer through this lens. Imagine if you were to just start praying like this tomorrow morning. So I want you just in your minds, I imagine a place in your home or a place uh, that uh, is sort of free from distractions, a place that you were trying to cultivate where you were trying to communicate and commune with God. And I want to, I know these words are very familiar to a lot of us, I want us to look at these words again and ask the question, what difference would us saying and believing these words make in our everyday life, like make in our life tomorrow, okay? The first words that we see Jesus invite his disciples to say are, uh, for further instructions, no need to like close your eyes and stay in that space. We can, we can just uh, listen to this, but I wanted to give you that location in your mind. He starts his prayer with our Father. Now, this is super familiar to us, but in that day was completely radical. There was not a lot of examples of referring to God as Father. And the Aramaic word that is used there is Abba, which is like calling God Daddy. It's a word of affection. It's a word of closeness. This is totally radical for, God to, or for Jesus to offer his disciples, and it's a way of starting. Because oftentimes, and maybe you can imagine yourself in that place tomorrow morning, and if you imagine bringing up the image of God in your, in your life, is it an image of an unending love from a parent? Is it an image from a good and well-meaning parent in your life? Or are there other images of like a disappointed professor that come up in your life? One of the first things that Jesus offers his disciples is this image of who God is and how he comes to them that was radically different than the hypocrites who were praying out loud and the pagans who were brabbling on and on. It was a picture of an intimate parent. Now, I know for some of us, the image of a father isn't a positive one. So there's some reconstruction, some imagination that we have to bring into it. And uh, the word father itself can also be a little bit lim- limiting because te- uh, the Old Testament texts and other texts refer to God in feminine ways, talking about uh, 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 images of a mother gathering in her newborn and drawing that newborn close to her chest. And the same images, I think, are present in this way of describing God and addressing him. The next thing it says is, Hallowed be thy name. That's a word we never say unless we're saying this prayer. I was thinking about this earlier today, and uh, Daniel's really into his birthday, as all my kids are. And he keeps asking, like, can we have my birthday, like, today? And it's like, he wants his birthday every day. And Christian Ann and I's response is, if you had your birthday every day, then you were, your birthday wouldn't be special. It wouldn't be set apart. It wouldn't be separate. It wouldn't, you wouldn't have the anticipation to engage in it. Hallowed has that same sort of thing. We honor the uniqueness, the specialness of God's self, of our relationship with him. On earth as it is in heaven. Here right off the bat, we have this dynamic 
image of an in-between reality. This makes a difference in our everyday lives because it positions us in history. It positions us in a space where we are on earth and heaven is invading and breaking in all around. At first glance, it looks like this, that Jesus is referring to God being geographically distant off up in the sky somewhere, and that's how it's been interpreted through time. But if you actually dig into the language a little bit, their understanding of heaven was more like our understanding of air, like they was ever-present around us. And if you read the Gospels and if you've been listening to Jesus' stories recently, we've been talking about how this picture of the good news of the kingdom of God invading our earthly reality and us living on the threshold or the in-between in our lives of heaven coming to earth in everyday life. And so this part of the prayer is an invitation to see the world differently. I know how easy it is to wake up in the morning and just get to the earthly things, get to the deadlines that need to be done, the kids that need to be fed, the lunches that need to be made. But when we start our day this way, when we pray in this manner, we're recalling our true identities as harbingers or messengers that heaven is slowly taking over earth and we get to participate in that. Not only do we have a good father who loves us, but he invites us into what he's doing. We call on him to bring to bear his uh, truth of heaven onto earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. In this moment, there's an option to reorient our lives not on the stress of succeeding or the stress of making sure we have what we need or worrying about not having what we need and entering into a simple trust that the God of this universe will provide for what we need. And when we're able to enter into that simplicity, that simple trust, we can embrace all the hardship of our life. We can enter into the day knowing that God will provide what we need for this day. And we don't let the worries of yesterday and the anxieties of the future dominate our psyche. And next he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I love this. If it's a manifesto for who we are, we are forgiveness people. We are people who accept ourselves. We enter into a relationship with God with other in this posture of being forgiven and offering forgiveness. Man, I can't tell you how many days that has made a difference, even in my home, when sometimes there's high stress, high emotions to enter into a space where I have spoken and communed with God and entered into that relationship as a forgiven person and with the, uh, with the motivation to forgive. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, some uh, translations say, or the evil one. This is an acknowledgement that we do live in this in-between, that we have this ever-present evil that still oppresses and dominates our world. And there is a trust and hope in God to overthrow that oppression. And there is a evil one. There is an acknowledgement. There, there is powers in this world that are working for our ill. And we are susceptible in being complicit in that evil that exists systemically, personally, and interrelationally. And we can be complicit in avoiding how that affects our neighbors around us 
and we can participate in Jesus's victory and work that he wants to bring in those areas. And that leads into the last part of the prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the phrase amen just simply means truly. I imagine what it was like to pray those words, to conclude this prayer throughout the centuries as Jesus' followers have experienced all different forms of oppression, all different forms of bondage, whether they be from the evil one or from physical governments and institutions, realities, systemic things that have held them in oppression. How beautiful it is to proclaim that the kingdom that they are experiencing oppression from is not greater than Jesus' kingdom. And I imagine people starting their days with this day, walking into systems of great pain and subjugation with this powerful hope in Jesus' kingdom to transcend and be victorious over those that they're experiencing. When I was thinking about prayer for us this month and thinking about this, I was thinking about how we become what we believe. We become what we believe. And we believe, we foster belief by the things that we do regularly, the habits that are in our life. And Jesus' intention was to give his disciples a habit of stating the most true things that there are in the world. That we have a good parent in our God who loves us and embraces us, that is holy, that invites us into the work of bringing his kingdom close in our lives, that provides for our every need, that creates an atmosphere of acceptance and forgiveness and love that has defeated the evil one and empowers us to do the same. That's a profound belief. As you stare at these things, and maybe as you do that exercise this week, I want you to ask the question, is this the kind of person that you want to become? Are these the sort of things that you want, sort of truths that you want to live into? One more uh, story that I think just offers an invitation. I do this thing with my kids where I say to them, Hey, hey, Jesse, hey, Jesse, hey, Jesse. And in their defense, sometimes I'm a little too sarcastic and I do it in kind of a negative tone, like, hey, Jesse, hey, Jesse. And they like avoid talking to me and they like move away. And then I get real close to him and I look him in the eye and I say, I love you and I think you're amazing. And at first they're squirmy and resistant. And that reminds me of that occurrence with my professor. It reminds me with maybe some of the hesitations that I brought to prayer. But I think that sort of interaction is what's in store for our community over this next month. That there might be an invitation, a text message from God, if you will. Hey, can we talk? And there are practices and ways we can enter into that and talk with God and commune with him. And I think we might be apprehensive, but I know that what we'll receive is the Father's love that sort of affirmation of who we are, an invitation to participate in his work. So for these next few minutes around tables, we have what we call listening time. This is a space for us to listen to each other, to respond a little bit to what uh, we heard in the text, what we heard from what I've been saying. And so we have some guiding questions, and I want to offer one bonus question. The first question is just what stood out to you Or what difference do you think this would make in your life? And because all of you have that paper in front of you, 
I want to encourage you, because it breaks down uh, the different phrases in the Lord's Prayer, if you're open to or if you want to, offer which of those resonates with you most right now. Is it that you're asking God for some need that you have in your life or that you have really experienced the evil in the world and you really resonate with that line right now? So no need to answer all of those questions. No need even to participate in conversation at all. The reason we call it listening time is that we think it's perfectly awesome to sit there and listen to what your neighbor has to say. One of the things we say as a guideline is just in your little group, and I would encourage you to find about four people around you, plus or minus one, uh, and give each other uh, the gift of listening to one another. But if you're talking, try to limit it to about two minutes so that everybody can have a chance to share if they want to. And again, no need to share if, if, if you don't feel the need to do that. Listening is a perfect way to participate this evening. Let's jump in. <laughs> 